This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So we're talking about real rest, and we're going to start off by me inviting you to get out your old cell phones and text Dave. And what I'd like you to do is text me about where you like to unwind. Where do you go to find rest, to relax, to unwind? And I'm starting by throwing up a couple of pictures that I pulled off of you know, my uh, eye picture thing to show you some of the recent places that I like to do or things that I've done to show rest. So you can pull that up to get the juices flowing for me. I have a picture here of me and my wife out on the middle of Lake Wampopak. We borrowed a boat, puttered out into the middle during a sunset, turned off the boat and just floated. Ah, that felt great. That was a just just a memory that stuck with me all year. I can go back to that place and I can find that that rest. I can feel it right now. So that was one. Another one. I don't know how this is really rest, but when I look back on it, I think, yeah, hanging out with 16-year-old boys at an ice cream shop, nothing could be better. In the summer, they don't have any agenda. They're just hanging and sitting back there and watching them is just For me, it's pure fun, and I find it super relaxing and really energy-giving. Next one, uh, I'm a bit of a gadget kind of person, and sitting in a Stearman here is like the, the, the gadget of all time for me. I couldn't be happier there, about to go up with my brother and, uh, play around in a Stearman, which is a cool, cool thing to do. If you ever get a chance to do that, Go for it. Just make sure you buckle your seatbelt before you go in so you don't fall out when you're upside down. What I notice is like when you're flying around in that thing, after about 10 minutes, physically you don't even notice if you're upside down anymore. It's just like you're feeling all kinds of weird G-forces. And yeah, you need you need a seatbelt for that one. But boy, is it fun. And And I like to say, well, that night I went to bed with a smile on my face. Slept probably all night with that smile, so that was kind of cool. And the last one is a little bit more serious. Here is a picture of the altar at a chapel that I just love. Uh, my wife and I were out there for a couple years in Tucson, Arizona. You can see the cactuses in the back, and it is just a place of serene peace. So, yeah, I see uh, on texts, I see people here... Walking the dogs in the penny pack. Ah, kids at Lake Wampopak. That's Rob. By the way, I was staying at Rob's uh, lake house when I went out in the boat there. The woods, Wolf Island, etc., uh, etc. Et Off it goes. The garden. Lots of cool stuff. Anyhow, you know, you know what I mean. And um, I think about. Real rest, I think about this passage in the psalm, Psalm 19. And, you know, I'm a a theologian. I'm a member of the clergy. So, like, I, I like to riff through the Bible. I read it several times a day. Sometimes, I guess it's a disadvantage. 
you, you riff through and you read these passages and like, oh, that's beautiful. It makes me feel so good. And then you move on. But you don't really get the value and the meaning of the passage in quite the same way. And this is one of those passages that really speaks to me where I've enjoyed it for years. And then all of a sudden there's God saying, hey, I have a message for you in this passage. And so what's the message? He says, he says, be still and know that I am God. And I'm not saying, oh yeah, be still, know I am God. Now read the next Psalm. But be still. Be still. Create silence in your life. Slow everything down. See if you can take the thing, that noise in your head or all those voices in your head, turn them off. Because when you do that, you will know. Be still and you will know. So I think of this as, yeah, it's kind of an instructional thing. And also it's kind of a, a prophetic thing. That the moment you step outside of all the noise that we create in our natural world and create some spiritual space, it could be through coming to church here, it could be through meditation, it could be through prayer at night, could be whatever, but you step out of that care of the world kind of space, and it's like, yeah, as soon as you do that, you will know that I am God, the God who loves you, the God who cares for you, the God who has incredible dreams and incredible blessings in store for you just who you are and the way you are. It's going to be beautiful. So I, I don't know. I could think about that a long time. Maybe we should just stop the service with that, you know? And I would. I would. But it's just not that easy, is it? Uh, there's this passage in the theology for the new church, and it says, well, prayer is speech with God. And when I think about the voices, it's like, yeah, okay, so it's like me. God, uh, I want to tell you about my day and blah, 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 blah. I'm going to tell you everything. And by the way, God, why aren't you doing this in my life? And how come you didn't show up with me for me earlier? And, and I should have won the lottery and dag blastic God, I just have a lot on my mind here that I'm going to tell you. Well, the passage also says, It says prayer is speech with God, but also prayer is listening for the reply. Oh, is that part two? Wait a minute. It's a dialogue? It's a two-way street? I'm supposed to hear those messages? People say, well, I, I don't hear God in my life. Well, are you listening? And the reality of life is... I think it's actually difficult to listen. It's often difficult to listen. I see this with couples. Um, I like to, Chuck and I cooperate around weddings and things like that. I do a fair number of weddings and I do a lot of counseling. And I notice that when you start talking about communication, it's easy to talk about, well, you give me the time to talk. And it's like, okay, well, that's part of it. But probably the real part of conversation around communication is learning how to listen. 
creating this space where you're really listening deeply. And I think when we talk about God and prayer, we have a lot of one-way communication, and it's really easy for us to unload at God. And, and I will say that there is use to that. It's not, it's not necessarily bad to do that. But learning to listen deeply so we're listening deeply to God is part of it. That's part of it. And so um, I wanted to read a passage from the Gospel of Matthew, which really kind of focuses in a little bit on why it's so difficult to listen, I think. So this is, it's an analogy, and that's, that's the point of this. I just wanted to set that up so that you know this is really symbolizing stuff in our life that interferes with our ability to listen, interferes with us really recognizing that God is an infinite presence and an infinite presence in our lives. Not just an infinite presence out there, but that means he's constantly present with us as well. So Jesus gets into a boat and his disciples follow him. And this is what happens. Suddenly, a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with waves. But Jesus was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? And then he rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea And there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obeys him? So the band is going to come out for our our bucket song. And as they come out, just think a little bit about this story, because we're not talking about going out onto the sea in this nice, modern secure steel or fiberglass boat with flotation, with life vests, with everything you need to get through a storm. But it was an open, small fishing boat, probably 10 or 15 feet long, very heavy, made out of waterlogged wood, probably 20 or 30 years old. And the disciples were going across the sea, probably at night, with no light. And all of a sudden, the waves kick up because of the wind. And it's, it's a shallow sea. So whenever you have a shallow sea, you have very steep waves. And the waves are starting to swamp the boat. Jesus, well, Jesus has nothing to worry about, right? So he's asleep in the back of the boat. He's not worried about anything. And the disciples are freaking out, just like we would. And it's those waves and those concerns, I think those are waves of fear that show up in our lives with all kinds of things. And they threaten to sink us. They, we think there's no hope. And yet Jesus has the power to calm those waves in our lives as well. So just reflect for a little bit. We're going to have our song, but reflect about what those waves might be 
in your life right now, what are the things that are, are surfacing that, that you are, you know, concerned about, that you're feeling like, well, your boat might go down because of these waves? Just reflect for a little bit about the other side of that is, hey, you know, maybe Jesus is actually right there in the back of the boat. And maybe he can do something about that. So I hope today that I'm singing something of a song of freedom that you can find redemption a little bit. And I wish it were so easy. And it's amazing to me how stupid and silly some of these big waves really are that come crashing over my boat. You know, my car needs a new set of tires, and I go crazy and freak out, and I can't sleep because I'm worried about how am I going to pay this. But really, we're talking about tires. Come on. Like, what's this about? It's not not about world peace. It's not about really anything that has any significant, long-lasting value. And I, I allow that to come crashing in as if it, and it feels like my boat's going to go down. And the reality is, you know, I've owned cars now for a long time in my life, and none of those cars have sunk me yet. So, so what, what are the odds that a new tire is going to sink me this time? It's like, I, why don't I learn that? You know, it's these waves that keep coming up. So it's not as simple as what we think. I have uh, a story in my head that I've been thinking about a long time, and it's, it, it's a story from the Old Testament from the first, the book of First Kings, chapter 19, if you're interested. You can go back and read it. And so here's this ancient, ancient, ancient part of the Bible, and it's talking about a prophet. So it could be talking about me in a sense, but it's talking about a prophet, and he's, he's kind of the maligned prophet. He's the prophet that's hated. He's the prophet who thinks he has been a complete disappointment to God and a complete failure in everything that God has promised and said would come to pass through his activity, by all appearances, has failed and the wicked king and queen of the land have decided they're going to do everything they can to annihilate him, kill him, give him a painful death, and that'll be the end of it. And he's pretty depressed. So, again, it's like, okay, here, here's somebody in the boat, right? And it can be our version of the boat, whatever that happens to be. And sometimes I'm like, oh, poor me, and in that boat myself. And so here he is feeling like it's a mess. And so the way the story unfolds is God leads him and he's leading him after feeding him. And he walks on that meal for 40 days and 40 nights through the desert. Pretty amazing that he can last 40 days and 40 nights. And you would think that would be kind of a clue to him hey, something big is happening here, right? I haven't had to eat for the last 35 days, and I'm still going strong. But that's not it. He's still thinking, oh, poor me. Life stinks. I failed. I failed God. I just want to die. So he keeps wandering in the desert. He comes to this mountain, which is Mount Horeb, which we can think of in other stories in ancient Israel, in the Old Testament, as Mount Sinai. Remember, that's the mountain where God came to Moses 
and gave him the Ten Commandments and gave him all these promises and that kind of thing. So it's a pretty significant landmark in biblical history. And here he is, he finds a cave on the top of the mountain and he goes in to hide. There he is sitting in the cave. He hears this voice from God. Elijah, what are you doing? What are you doing here? Go out of the cave. So he walks out to the mouth of the cave and he experiences this. He experiences a furious wind, a wind that's so strong it's like a tornado. It's tearing the rocks out of the mountain and hurling them. This is a major cataclysmic event. It's like being at the top of a volcano as it's starting to blow. So horrendous wind goes, and it says, well, God is not in the wind. And I'm just going to pause here and say, well, well, think about the symbolism here in your life. And I think of wind as being some kind of powerful persuasion in my life that's blasting through, that's threatening to carry me away and kind of tempting me to buy into that persuasion. You should do this, David. Or, and you can think of it in your own terms, what are those winds that blast through? You have to do this. And um, it's false. It's, it's those, you have to do this when, well, actually, no, you don't. You have to do this in order to be happy. Well, no, actually not. No, the, the Lord is not in the wind, okay? So, so life is not in the wind. Love is not in the wind, so if you do that, well, that's fine, but don't expect to see any uh, deep reward in that wind. So, so the first thing is he experiences the wind. Oh, God's not in that wind. Okay. Well, then the ground starts to shake. You're at the top of a mountain, big earthquake, maybe not the best place to be. The earth is shaking back and forth. Here he is holding on for dear life, not knowing what to happen, what's going to happen next. And, oh, by the way, the story stipulates, God is not in the earthquake. So what are those sea changes in your life? What are those, those things that are beyond your control, where the landscape of your life is changing... And yet God is not in there. So if you go in and dwell in those changes and live as if that is you, maybe there's not going to be a reward there either. And maybe you're not going to find God. And I think that some some ways for me, the earthquake is the biggest thing. I think about, you know, here's a, a hopefully this is funny. Um, when my hair, you notice my hair is gray, right? I do not dye it. It is gray. I don't spray it or anything. It just went gray naturally because of all my worries. But um, I can remember one of my kids writing down the hair color of their father, and they wrote gray down. And I'm like, what? My hair is not gray. And they go look in the mirror and it's like, oh. <laughs> Like, that's one of those things you have no control over. It just is, right? You live with it, and you let it go. But that's kind of a... That was a pretty little earthquake in my life, I admit. But it was one of those things like, wait a minute, my kids are pointing out the truth to me. I loved that denial of my beautiful brown hair, which is now long gone. 
Okay, so there was an earthquake, and then there was a fire. And it's like, it really was like a volcano there. The fires, maybe it was lightning bolts. I don't know what it was, but there was fire, and, and God was not in the fire. And we can think about our passions. We can think about the times we get uh, inflamed because somebody has wronged us. Um, somebody has irritated us and we want to lash out or we want to make things right. And actually, we're not going to make things right. You know, we don't, we're not able to do that. And if we live in that anger, it's just going to bring misery. And God is not in that either. So, so where is God? And this is the beautiful part of the story. So suddenly after these gigantic events, Elijah is there on the top of the mountain, and what he hears is it's described as a still, small voice. I wish I could translate the Hebrew for you because there's no actual way to convey what is meant with an English word. There's no matching English word. That's why they use all these words, still, small voice. What does that mean? Well, what it means is basically if you're standing in a forest of white pines and you hear a gentle, gentle, just the gentlest of breezes blowing through those trees and you hear the pine needles just touching each other a little bit. You hear this gentle breeze passing through the pines. That's what it means. Or um, somebody said, well, it's like listening for the the footsteps of a butterfly. Tiny, gentle, and there's something beautiful there. And, and, and that's, that's God. And so, so you can ask, well, if I can just step out of all of the noise, if I can step out of the blasting wind, get away from the earthquake for a minute mentally, turn off the fire, and listen, what do I hear? It's the voice of love. It's the voice of the one who cares most deeply for you in the universe. The one who understands who you are and rejoices that you are present in this universe and cares that you are here and sees that you have a role. You have something to offer humanity that is beautifully, uniquely you. And all he wants you to do is to speak that. That is the one who is bringing his still small voice to you. It's a voice of love, it's a voice of peace. So thinking about that, I have a video clip to play for you. It's a piece, uh, it's kind of the end piece of the movie, A Beautiful Mind. And just to set this up a little bit, the, the movie is about a guy named John Nash who was a brilliant mathematician. He's played by Russell Crowe, And here's this guy who's a scientist, mathematician. He's a Nobel Prize winner. We get to watch the Nobel Prize presentation ceremony as depicted in the film. 
And the question is, what did he discover? Let's watch. I've always believed in numbers, in the equations and logics that lead to reason. But after a lifetime of such pursuits, I ask, what truly is logic? Who decides reason? My quest has taken me through the physical, the metaphysical, the delusional, the most important discovery of my career. The most important discovery of my life. It is only in the mysterious equations of love that any logical reasons can be found. I'm only here tonight because of you. You are the reason I am. You are all my reasons. I love that. And, and I love it because um, you, know, you see the movie and what you miss in the clip is that this brilliant mathematician became psychotic in the middle of his career and had huge issues with schizophrenia and then was able to come out of that and go back to work. And so what is the most amazing thing that he discovered? Well, well it's love. It's love. And you think, well, what's the still small voice in your life? And what's your biggest discovery? If you think about what's really your biggest discovery, because I know some of you have done amazing things in your careers, but what are those discoveries that you have found that you're going to carry with you throughout the rest of your days on this earth and then into the next? What are those discoveries? Because those are the ones that God really cares about. And what are the discoveries that are waiting for you that you haven't found yet? Something to think about. So I think about peace as being a big part of that still small voice. I think about peace as being one of the objectives of 
religion, one of the objectives of church, one of the reasons we want to gather together so that we can form a collective experience of peace and we can share our own individual experiences of that peace with each other so that that peace can grow in strength and power and impact on people's lives. There's a wonderful passage, again, that comes from the theology of the new church that says peace contains within it trust in the Lord. So true peace, if it's really peace, it's going to contain within it a sense of trust, not a sense of doubt, not a, uh, maybe even with doubt, but, but it's like the opposite of fear. And so much, I think, of life is fear-driven because we don't know from ourselves what the answers are or what our own personal journeys are going to be. Learning to clear that out create the space for peace, peace that has embedded within it trust in the Lord. It's a trust that God governs all things and he leads always toward an end that is good. And if you're in a place where you're you're feeling uncomfortable, you're feeling unresolved, you're feeling upset, well, you're not there yet. You're not at that end. You're not at that end of the journey, which is goodness itself and love itself, and it is for you. That folds directly back into Jesus' mission on earth. He says, "These, these things I've spoken to you. Why did he speak them? I've spoken them to you that you might have peace. In the world... In the world, you will have tribulation. And that's something, like, I can guarantee you will have tribulation in the world. We all have it, and it's amazing how much tribulation there can be. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have overcome that tribulation. I've been there, and I've done that, and I can do it for you, is essentially what God is saying there for you. And then finally, and I just want to close with this. Jesus says at the end of John, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. So it's not the same as that tribulation, but not as the world. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So just in closing, being a Monday morning church, I would challenge you today, tomorrow, this week, find a few spaces in your life, find a few times where you can just tune out some of that noise. Step away from the earthquakes in your life, the blasting wind, the fire. Listen for the still small voice. Listen for that voice of love. And listen for that leadership and see what happens. So enjoy that. Now I'd like to invite, we're going to have prayer. I'd like to invite you to pray with me. I'll say a prayer. We'll have some time for silent prayer. 
You can say the Lord's Prayer during that time if you wish, and then we'll have our closing song. O Lord God of peace, ask that you touch us with your love, your infinite love, your undying love, a love that knows no end, a love that is tied in with life itself that helps us to grow and change, that lifts us up, that heals our hurts. We know, Lord, that the situation and circumstances of our life are often difficult. And there are waves that come crashing in on us. And yet, Lord, give us an awareness of that love. Ask it through the power of that love, which is truly infinitely powerful also. You're able to still those waves so that we can come to experience you and know you and take that life that comes only from you and share it with those around us, building others up, not tearing them down, and loving people. Help us on a journey of kindness, O Lord, and lead us to your peace. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.